the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, thank you, sir, and good afternoon. Welcome to the Wednesday midweek June 3rd edition of Lifeline. We are, of course, here with you each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. We've got some late-breaking news out of Minneapolis today as Minnesota State Attorney General Keith Ellison has announced that he's upgraded the charges against the former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin to second-degree murder and charged the other three officers involved in George Floyd's death. Joining us later on in tonight's program, we've invited Bay Area Pastor Joel Jones to join us. He, of course, is the senior and founding pastor of Spirit of Truth Church in Fairfield. Pastor Jones spent more than 30 years in local law enforcement, serving as a police officer in both the Oakland and San Francisco police departments, as well as as a sheriff's deputy for the city of San Francisco. And we thought he could bring some unique perspective for us on this issue of the debate raging over police brutality and crossing over the line and how it is that we can deal with these issues, particularly as relationships between Americans and police are strained to the fullest. We'll get to that part of the conversation coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. Nation will rise up against nation. There will be wars and rumors of wars, famine, earthquakes in diverse places, plagues, and even locust invasions. Kind of makes you wonder if what we're witnessing right now is just exactly from the time that's spoken of first by Daniel and later in Matthew chapter 23. We're quickly reminded in Matthew 24 that all of these are the beginning of birth pains, according to Jesus' words. While our special first guest tonight is not invited on to necessarily discuss eschatology, but rather the importance at such a juncture in American life and history as this of prayer, um, I, I thought it would be interesting to get some perspective. Dr. Robert Jeffress joins us, senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, best-selling author, radio host on Pathway to Victory, heard each weekday morning at 6 a.m. right here on KFAX, and author of a newly released book called Praying for America, 40 Inspiring Stories and Prayers for Our Nation, newly released by Faith Words Press. And Dr. Jeffress, as always, a delight and a privilege to have you join us. Well, great to talk to you, Craig. You know, you were talking about eschatology. I'm actually preaching verse by verse through Revelation right now, and my goal is to get to chapter 19, the second coming, before the second coming. <laughs> it feels like we're getting closer all the time. It, it, it does indeed, doesn't it? And, and, and certainly, you know, as we, we look at all these signs, and, you know, 
Boy, even since the last time we spoke in late fall of last year, there has been so much in America that has changed. We were trying to sort of deal with the rise of this pandemic that has impacted America in so many significant ways and and barely getting a handle on what all of that looks like and beginning the slow digging out of all of this and the beginnings of the recovery and then suddenly, boom, we're hit with the events that unfolded in Minneapolis a week ago Monday. And I guess if you look at this from a larger picture, there are certainly two things going on here. One, which very much gets to the heart of your book, that there is a critical time now for believers to seriously be about prayer. And I don't mean in sort of just the, um, well, it's National Day of Prayer. In fact, we're just coming up on, uh, I guess, the, the month anniversary tomorrow. So we'll we'll spend a couple of extra minutes praying and then kind of go back to our usual routines. Now, yeah. I think it's going to recall really a lot more of that and maybe too an awakening for the church and recognizing that for such a time as this, there is so much hurt out there, so much confusion, so much pain, that in many respects, I wonder, Dr. Jeffress, is this a very unique time for the church to not only spread a little bit of oil on the water, so to speak, but also to be disseminating the hope that we have in Christ? Oh, I think it's a unique time in our history as a nation for us to be doing just that. And uh, my book, Praying for America, is certainly about praying. Uh, You know, somebody once said there are many things of importance we can do after we've prayed, but there's nothing of importance we can do until we have prayed. And uh, I wrote this book, Praying for America. Uh, I actually first started thinking about it 18 months ago, Craig, just looking, uh, kind of forecasting that by the summer of 2020, we were getting ready for a very contentious presidential election, and it was important for Christians of all political beliefs to come together and pray for our country. That was my original intent. Little did I know that the week the book was released, we would not only be facing political division and a global pandemic, but we would have uh, riots in 28 major cities in America. America. But God knew it. And uh, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said this is a great time for us to offer hope to the world. You know, our church, the First Baptist Church of Dallas, has been uh, shut down since May or March 15th, but we're reopening this Sunday. But during that time, Craig, through our Pathway to Victory ministry, we've seen over 18,000 people make professions of faith in Jesus Christ as Savior. And I'm hearing those reports everywhere. So, you know, what Satan may have meant for evil, God is using for good to bring people to himself. It's so remarkable to hear that kind of response, 18,000 people that have made a decision for Christ. And I suppose, you know, sort of the the proverbial silver lining here, God uh, taking something that the enemy meant for evil and using it for his glory, that this has been a juncture when not only families have been forced to come together and set aside the busyness of life because we had no choice but to be in quarantine with each other. And I suppose there are some husbands and wives out there that discover they didn't even know who it was that they were living with all, <laughs> all along. But but then, too, the, the opportunity to really engage in some serious introspection. You know, we, we tend to get so caught up in the busyness of day-to-day life and paying bills and taking the kids to band practice and soccer practice and planning vacations and so forth, that to stop and to contemplate our, our very fragility of the preciousness of life itself and to contemplate our own mortality, leading us to ponder who we are in relationship with God and what does he think about us 
And if we die tomorrow, where do we go? These are very important questions that uniquely this current pandemic has really forced a lot of Americans to maybe, for even the first time, confront. Oh, it has. I mean, you talk about, you know, contemplating our own mortality. I was walking through the room the other day, and my wife was on the phone. I said, who are you talking to? And she said, I'm talking to the cemetery to make sure our plots are in order. Now, that's a sobering, <laughs> you know, <Wow. laughs> realization of your mortality. And I think about it. In fact, I'm going to say that this, uh, this Sunday, you know, in January, I sat down the first day of January, as I always do, and plan out my year and uh, goals for the year and things that I was going to be doing this spring. And I imagine as I was writing those things down on January 1st, God was laughing his head off. You know, that, mm. this is what you think you're going to be doing. I've got big and different plans. I didn't do anything on my list. I had a whole uh, slew of other things God was going to have me do in time. And I think, you know, this just reminds us that we are not in control of our lives. We live under that illusion a lot of times, but it's like James said in four, chapter 413, come now, those of you who say tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and engage in business and make a profit, you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. I'm struck in your new book, Praying for America, 40 Inspiring Stories and Prayers, of your choice of that number 40. We think of Christ 40 days in the wilderness. We think of the time in which he was tempted and buffeted and harassed by the enemy at every turn. It, it, certainly in some ways maybe paralleling the way we'll, we're feeling today as people have, uh, perhaps have loved ones who have become sick or even died because of COVID-19, lost jobs, saw uh, loved ones and friends and family lose their jobs, and now witnessing the horror of what's been tra transpiring on the streets of America over the last week or so. And, and, and I wonder, that, that selection of 40 days, beyond the association with Christ's time in the wilderness, what in your mind was significant about 40 days of prayer? Well, you know, Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights as he heard from God. The Israelites went into the Promised Land, spied it out for 40 days. Jesus, as you said, you know, in the wilderness for 40 days. I don't think there's anything magical about the name uh, number 40, but I think it maybe says more than a month, 30 days, 40 days, we ought to devote to praying for our country. And, Craig, I want to make it clear, my book, Praying for America, is not some laborious prayer guide. I know a lot of listeners are thinking, I don't need one more thing to do right now. But this is really a book, uh, book, first of all, of inspiration. In each one of the 40 chapters, that are only a few pages each, I start with a true story from American history about how faith has made a difference in the destiny of our country. I tell stories from the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the Civil Rights Movement, the space program, just how faith has made a difference. And by the way, our children and grandchildren need to hear these stories because they're not hearing it in public school, that this nation was founded as a nation of faith built on God and His Word. And then I suggest a different area at the end of American life to pray for. When we pray for America, it means praying for our elected officials, praying for our teachers, praying for our pastors, praying for first responders, praying for doctors. These are 40 different things to pray for, and I have a suggested prayer. So, again, people are busy now, but if people would take five minutes in the morning, read a chapter from the book, it'd be inspirational, motivational, but also 
have a moment to pray for the nation we love. I tell people the most patriotic thing Christians can do for the nation we love is to pray for the nation we love. And probably nothing more urgent than to pray for this nation, particularly at this time, at this juncture. I mean, we we ought to be in a a, a spirit of prayer more regularly anyway. You know, Paul talked about prayer without ceasing, and some Christians think, oh my goodness, I can barely get two minutes in before I go to bed at night, let alone thinking about praying without ceasing. But, you know, I think what's suggested there is to be in that attitude of prayer, that communion with God, that sense of being open and sensitive to the prodding of the Holy Spirit, so that even throughout the day, if the Lord, for example, brings the name of a friend to mind, to pause for a moment and to pray for that person. If you watch a television news report about what the governor had to say today, it's easy to complain and to grovel and grossle over what he might proclaim in relationship to stay in place orders and things of that sort. But how about instead being prompted to pray for the governor? This book Praying for America, 40 Inspiring Stories and Prayers for Our Nation, is, as Dr. Jeffress suggests, not just simply a, a laborious a guidebook, per se, but really a, a, an inspiration because it gives examples of not only how to pray and areas to be thinking about in terms of prayer focus, but moreover, stories of faith that can encourage you particularly for the person that maybe is feeling as if sometimes their prayers don't reach beyond the ceiling, to know that God does answer prayer, that prayer changes things, and that we're called upon to pray not just to give God sort of a laundry list of the things that we want to need, but rather to really engage in holy communion, conversation with him. We'll talk more about the book as we continue our conversation with Dr. Robert Jeffress. Again, his broadcast, Pathway to Victory, something you want to be sure to tune in for. You can catch it Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. right here on KFAX. And podcasts and complete information available on the website. It's easy. Think of Pathway to Victory by going to ptv.org. That's ptv.org. A brief time out. Back to more of our conversation with Dr. Robert Jeffress as this edition of Lifeline continues. Right now, though, let's get you some updates on traffic as we head over to the KFAX Traffic Center. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation. He is the senior pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. Speaker on the Pathway to Victory broadcast, heard weekday mornings at 6 a.m. here on KFAX, and the author of a number of best-selling books, including his latest and timely, Praying for America, Inspiring Stories and Prayers for Our Nation, newly published by Faith Words. And they're, they're going to believe you had a crystal ball. <laughs> I think somebody's going to say he had to have an inside scoop somewhere. He's got a hotline to heaven just in terms of the timing of this. But you know what I what I love about the book, Dr. Jeffress, is the fact that you, you don't talk about just sort of the, the top tier things that maybe we always think about, you know, pray for our nation. Well, of course, you pray for the Congress, you pray for the president, pray for the governor, pray for your mayor. But you also get into other areas where we also need to pray. For example, in the book, you talk about praying for the survival of truth, praying for fair elections, praying for the safety of our nation from foreign enemies. And, you know, one of the things I mentioned in there is 
praying for those who are wrong, or at least mm. we think they're wrong. Uh, it, I, one thing, Craig, it is impossible to hate somebody that you're praying for. You just can't do it. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'll be honest, I was pretty angry uh, when I saw those uh, uh, protesters trying to destroy the St. John's Episcopal Church uh, across from the White House. That's not only the uh, church of the presidents, every president since Madison has visited there, but I preached the inauguration sermon for President Trump and Vice President Pence in that church on Inauguration Day. It made me angry to see them doing that. It made me angry uh, when vandals uh, vandalized our church uh, this week during the riots uh, that were going on in downtown Dallas. But those are exactly the people that I need to be praying for. Because, again, you can't hate somebody that you're praying for. The book really not only deals with the topics and and gives some recommended prayer, and and I love that because we run into it all the time. Prayer service, pastor says, okay, now we're going to open up the floor. Anybody who would like to pray, there are one or two people in the congregation that are always sort of the prayer warriors and, and leap to their feet and lead in prayer, and then suddenly it grows quiet and nobody knows what to say. And I think the idea of helping to prompt people and to develop this as as a monthly habit. You know, they say that it takes 30 days to develop a habit. So here's 30 days plus 10 for good measure. That in a sense, this almost ought to become, and it's an easy read, almost ought to become a daily prayer guide for all of us. It should be. You know, when you were talking about the prayer meeting, it reminded me of my old mentor and professor, Howard Hendricks at Dallas Seminary. He said most prayer meetings are more like organ recitals. People stand up and just talk about the different ailments and organs that are out of whack in people. And, you know, we ought to pray for our physical needs, but we're to pray beyond that as well. This juncture, as we discussed in the opening portions of the conversation tonight, is a critical one. Um, We are facing unprecedented economic chaos right now with 20 million-plus Americans facing unemployment. We're dealing with rioting on the streets, tragic loss of life, not only because of all of this senseless violence, but compacted by all the loss of life related to COVID-19. Certainly, America has been tossed an awful lot of incredible challenges in just a very short period of time. As you look at the broader picture of the importance of prayer, give us your insights Dr. Jeffress, in terms of what ought to be the believer's attitude toward prayer and how deeply ingrained ought it be in our daily lives? Well, I think really, Craig, the number one thing we ought to be praying for at all times is we ought to pray for God's will to be done. We ought to be praying for the things God is interested in. And look, we are surrounded by all of these uh, uh, problems our nation is facing, and I think we need to say you know, God hates racism. To hate a person because of the color of their skin is to, is to hate the God who gave them the color of their skin. But racism is not the root problem. Lawlessness is sin, First John 3, 4. But lawlessness is not the root of the problem. The root of the problem is sin itself, rebellion against God. And that's what we need to be praying for, is a revival, a spiritual awakening that occurs in our country. That's the end. Racism and lawlessness are symptoms of the problem. The real problem is the sin problem. 
And, you know, every one of your listeners, I think, would be inspired by that story I tell in Chapter 39 about a man named Jeremiah Lampier, lived in New York City, 1857. He was concerned about spiritual coldness in the country, so he wanted to have a prayer meeting. He advertised it everywhere. He ended up with six people at his prayer meeting on Wall Street. He was discouraged, but he kept on going. Two months later, all of the banks... Uh, in New York City closed because of an economic downturn and a stock market crash. Suddenly, those six people turned into 7,000 people that were praying seven days a week in New York City and brought about a revival that spread through Chicago and throughout the entire world. Well, that's what we need to be praying for right now. And there's never better time for a spiritual revival than right now. The light of Christ shines brightest in the darkness. And I hope my book, Praying for America, will inspire people to pray for all aspects of our life as a country, but for what God wants most for our nation, and that is our turning back to Him. Yeah, absolutely. And and the understanding, as you touched on, of praying in harmony with His will. Oftentimes we, we say we pray, we don't get an answer, God doesn't answer prayer, but we also pray for things very selfishly and outside of His will. People say, well, how do I understand what God's will is? That's why He left us His Word. And His Word can be that guide to learn to understand what what is important to God, what moves His heart, and then with that knowledge to be able to pray for these key areas within our nation, within the body politic, so that we can see God intervene and and do a dynamic thing in our nation today through the gospel at such a critical juncture where, as we said before, so many people are seeking answers, so many people are hurting. Dr. Jeffress, as always, we certainly appreciate your time. Wonderful, timely book here, and I thank you for carving out a couple of moments to be with us tonight to talk about it. Oh, Craig, it's always a delight to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. All right, you take care, and uh, we'll be praying for you for a a fantastic coming together in uh, the first open service there at First Baptist on Sunday. So much. Really appreciate it. Dr. Robert Jeffress, Senior Pastor at First Baptist Church in Dallas, speaker on the Pathway to Victory broadcast, weekday mornings at 6 a.m. here on KFAX, and the author of the new book we've been discussing, Praying for America, 40 Inspiring Stories and Prayers for Our Nation. Very timely, very topical, newly released by Faith Words and available through bookstores throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com, as well as easily through the Pathway to Victory website at ptv.org. Think of the initials for Pathway to Victory, ptv.org. Be sure to tune into the broadcast, Pathway to Victory, weekday mornings at 6, right here on AM 1100 KFAX. There's Dr. Robert Jeffress. All right, 531. Let's get you updated on some traffic here. As we hear a number of um, closures taking place in relationship to the protests going on, particularly in San Francisco and the East Bay. Let's get you the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. 5.36 on the clock as we continue on this Wednesday edition of Lifeline. Today was announced by Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison 
that he has upgraded the charges against former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin to second-degree murder and charged the other three officers involved in George Floyd's death. Chauvin is now charged with second-degree murder without intent, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter. With the upgraded murder charge, his bail has now been upped from 500000 to $1 million. The other three officers are now charged with aiding and abetting second-degree murder and aiding and abetting second-degree manslaughter. This case that has unfolded on national television for all the world over the last week and day or two days, seems months but hard to believe it only happened on Memorial Day, has put sharply into focus yet once again a number of the severely damaged, if not thoroughly broken, relationships that exist in the United States. And it runs the gambit of race relationships between African Americans and the rest of the American population to relations between citizens and police. And ultimately, I think, and in the course of our conversation, we'll dig down into this, as even Dr. Robert Jeffers touched on a moment ago, ultimately evidence of a broken relationship between God and his creation, manifested through sin. We're going to dive into this and talk about a number of angles, both in terms of race relations, police relations, and ultimately relationship between all of us and God, as we're joined by a gentleman who spent 30 years in law enforcement, serving as a police officer for the city of San Francisco and Oakland, also served in the Sheriff's Department as a deputy for the San Francisco Sheriff's Department, and more recently has been a pastor, a missionary. He's done missions work in South Africa, Southern India, and South America, and is the founding pastor of Spirit of Truth Church in Fairfield and the author of a new book called On the Job with God, The Awakening, newly published by Higgins Publishing. Pleased to have join us on the program, Pastor Joel Jones. Pastor Jones, sorry we can't see each other in person, but great to have you on the show with us. Same here, uh, Mr. Roberts. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. And I appreciate you taking time to uh, spend some time with the audience today tackling this very difficult topic from, I think, a unique perspective because you bring to the table both experience as a citizen, as a peace officer, as a pastor, as a family man, a father, a husband, a man of God. And every aspect of this, I think, uh, is touched by what we've seen unfold not just in the tragic events of the loss of life of George Floyd Monday a week ago in Minneapolis, but certainly um, the the ensuing turmoil that has spilled out to the streets of America. W- one thing I think perhaps is is the need for America to come to the realization that we have a problem, and it's no longer even an issue that sort of boils down below the surface. Uh, we we've certainly seen it uh, come to fruition in recent times in a significant way, even post-Rodney King in the early 90s, there's been a significant spike in in violent acts against yes. African Americans, senseless killings, 
And, of course, every time this happens, much like school shootings, uh, there's wailing and gnashing of teeth and the demand that the law change and people protest and there's hours of news commentary and discussions about it and articles in the newspaper that go on ad nauseum about what needs to change, the laws need to be improved, things of this sort. And then seemingly, much like the topic of school shootings and school violence, after a season, people grow weary We kind of get distracted by day-to-day life. Suddenly we get pulled back into the mundane. And the tragedy of the issue that we were grappling with seemingly gets forgotten until the next time. I have to wonder, first and foremost, from your perspective of watching the news, as we all have over the last week or so, and seeing what's happening uh, take place in 145 cities across America, and even in communities overseas in, in solidarity with George Floyd, I'm I'm wondering if you get the sense that maybe this time, prayerfully and hopefully this time, things will be different. Well, I, I certainly am uh, hoping so, uh, Craig. Uh, and you summed it up. I don't think you missed any any points on there. I, I think you summed it up uh, very thoroughly. All of these points are are, are very poignant and 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 affect people, and they affect me and everyone else. Um, it's the ebb and flow of warfare. It's simply what it is, and and that's how I see it. I'm praying that, because God is in control, and I'm praying that it's reaching its limit. Uh, When you look at it, you you figure you can't, it can't get much worse than it is, but I believe it can get even worse. The violence, the the disparity, the the, uh, the intolerance uh, based on color or based on uh, status. There are a lot of other factors that are at play here because see, we're, we're fighting an enemy that we can't see. And that's my issue here. That's what I've seen from my uh, upbringing in Chicago on the south side, which was very segregated, to college and sports and police work, and then to the ministry. I I wasn't a Christian at first, so I've got to see it from the grassroots area, what these young people are going through. In my neighborhood, we had black Muslims, we had black Panthers, we had black Stone Ranger gang members, and uh, so I saw it from a black perspective, and my family were in a, uh, a cult religion, uh, the, the nation of Islam. So I saw it from a from one side, and as I grew, I saw the other side. When I went to college and and and, um, and on in sports, and then um, in in the in the in the military and police work, and serving overseas, and then when I came to the Lord, He completed the picture. Then I've got the real picture. And that's what's missing. You said it uh, when you first started out. You, you, you've already mentioned the solution. The problem is most people don't know the solution, that we war against principalities and powers, and they are pitting people against one another. Regardless of race, it, you know Satan will use anything. He'll, he'll, he'll cause a white person to hate a black person. He'll cause a black person to say, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. Then he'll cause a police officer 
to have deep-rooted um, feelings or emotions or cultural upbringing or fear. You know, police officers fear also. And then there are, there are other things that come into play because we're all human. Unless we understand that my battle isn't with you, it's with that spirit that is controlling you or that you've allowed to get in. And that's really what's going on. That's why, uh, you know, and you know the word very well, but you know in, in, in Proverbs it says of uh, a, a man who can't, who has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. And anything can get in if we don't have the spirit of God intact. And that's why the Lord says to love me with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That means no matter what, we're going to follow him. And if both sides did that, we'd be much better off. I don't mean just in church, but I mean have a relationship with the Lord where you will not let him down, where you are truly led by the Holy Spirit. There's no way I can do some things that I would normally do if I... uh, really truly have a relationship with the Lord because he is my hero he's my everything I want to please him even with my life and that's what we need to get to and that's why the Lord pursues his people all people and give them the opportunity because he you mentioned it in the beginning he said um, the man you eat of this tree you will surely die and that's what happened we've been dying ever since for various reasons and this whole racial thing that's going on now, and I'm a black man, and I tell people, I say, I'm blacker than most of you guys, okay? I'm <laughs> really dark. But the point is, um, it's bigger than that. And a lot of people don't want to hear it. A lot of my family members don't want to hear it, but it's deeper than that. But like you said, we want comfort. We want to just get back to life. We don't want to look at um, bowing down and submitting to God. But he is the only answer in this. So, yes, I agree with what you're saying, and I pray that it will get better. But we are at war. This is a spiritual war, and we're and Satan and these demons are laughing at human beings, especially in this, this whole uh, coronavirus, COVID-19 situation where now God has allowed some things to happen so that we can turn to him. But it's well, and clearly the right? the enemy, and clearly here the the enemy set light, set match to to the uh, the wick, so to speak, of this powder keg uh, that we hear we come off of months of shelter in place, people losing their jobs, losing their their employment, now suddenly forced to shelter in place. Uh, so many questions, so much fear in relationship to COVID-19, decimation of the economy, 20% unemployment. And the one thing that's not talked about enough is the fact that COVID-19 in particular here in the United States has mostly impacted, yes, to be sure, vulnerable, vulnerable communities, including the elderly, people 65 and older, uh, most especially have succumbed to this disease. Um, but along with them, the, the other segment of our community here in America that has suffered the most have been minorities, people that either don't have access to health care or went back out on the front lines immediately, even though it wasn't the healthy thing to do, 
or were in circumstances where the ability to social distance, shelter in place, and engage in those sort of protective behaviors became next to impossible, either because of living circumstances or working circumstances. And suddenly, when you add all the time under lock and key, loss of employment, the impact on the loss of life, illness, all and of this conspired and just sat Craig there Roberts. waiting for something to lay match to it. And of course, what transpired a week ago Monday to George Floyd at the hands of those police officers in Minneapolis was the match that lit the powder keg. I want to spend a moment, if we can, Pastor Jones, to kind of roll back the layers of this onion here, uh, because as I think you're suggesting, this is a far more complex topic than we think that it is. And I think perhaps the, the approach in the past to try and minimize or simplify this, that somehow, well, if we just pass a couple of laws, we need to get a, a, a police inspection board put in place. We need to make sure that there's officer training when it comes to racial sensitivity, community engagement, all those interesting buzzwords that clearly, if we use... Rodney King's death in 1994 in Los Angeles is sort of the yardstick of how far we've come in the last 30-something years. The answer is not very far. If anything, we are seemingly regressing. I, I want to have you speak to your perspective as a peace officer, but before we get to that, I want to have you help us gain some understanding from the racial standpoint, what it's like to be a black man in America. Oftentimes we will hear white folks say, well, I'm not racial at all. I've got plenty of friends who are black. If somehow that is an endorsement, <laughs> uh, a, a way to suggest that there can't possibly be any inkling of racism within you because you're tolerant of black people at some level. Or the other individual who says, oh, <coughs> pardon me, I don't see your color. I don't see you as being anything other than just like me, which on the surface might appear to be uh, wonderfully uh, um, uh, accepting and yet seemingly suggests that we're now going from using the visual against somebody, using how they look against them, to now suddenly completely ignoring the fact that there are differences. And I think God was well-intended when he made us as we are, that this is something we should, in fact, be celebrating and not somehow discounting. But speak to this point, if you would, to help us better understand. Because an encounter, for example, that the average white person has anywhere around the country, but particularly here in the Bay Area, and we're, we're a little bit more diverse than others, so certainly things are, are a bit better here, I would like to hope, than you might experience in, in parts of the South. But, but that said, isn't the experience, the exchange, for example, that the average white person would have with a, a, a police officer that pulls you over for, I don't know, a taillight out, very different from oftentimes the experience that an African-American would have? Oh, sure, sure. It's, it's, it's much different. And um, <clears throat> a lot of officers who are um, uh, black officers or, or brown officers, uh, they know that there is a disparity, and they, they do know that uh, there are things that, that happen in the street that you're going to be a target depending on a lot of things 
um, time of day, where you are, what neighborhood you're in, even the type of car you drive. These are all earmarks. Um, these are all earmarks of of uh, color that will affect a person of color more so than a person who is white. And black people have have endured for so long, and they have, it's almost a way of life. You learn to protect your children. You learn to tell them, uh, as Governor Newsom was saying, don't wear a hoodie. Don't wear your hat, your cap backwards. Um, you know, when I work out, I run because it, my, my hat, my cap, I sweat a lot, and the cap dresses, uh, picks up sweat a certain way, and I turn it backwards. But I, there are certain areas that I won't be seen. I'm turning my hat the right way when I'm in certain areas uh, simply because uh, I've been pulled over myself. And, and so your children grow up with this stigma and this apprehension, and so you teach them. And I don't think white people understand that. And that's why when, when you have the conversation and they say, what's the difference, you know, what, you mean to tell me they discriminate against you, how did they do it? Because they weren't raised that way. They didn't have to um, learn these things for protection of their lives. Even in Chicago, I was pulled over regularly before I, before the eight, before I graduated high school, uh, I would say that the police stopped me. Um, I would say at least weekly in my neighborhood, and uh, I would get stopped walking. I get stopped. I would get stopped in a car. It, it it was just the way it was, the way we were, what we had to endure, and. So when you get out into the world and you become an adult and you, of course, Chicago being very segregated, as I said, but moving to California and playing ball, organized sports with all races, and, and, and then you see that people have, there's a boiling point. There's a point where, as the old saying goes, I'm fed up, I'm not going to take it anymore. People are now getting to that point. They're getting to that point. So, but the thing is, it's it's so systemic. How do we solve it? How these young people that are marching now? Uh, how do we solve the, the 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 issue of yes, protesting? But is anyone really listening? And then, how long will they listen? And um, I wager. Well, I don't wager. I wouldn't bet. But I, I would. I would think that in the next few months, even as you said, there are copycat. There are people out there that are are willing to throw um, uh, uh, gunpowder in the fire to cause more explosions as we go. And then what happens? And that's why I don't see um, the. Uh, the answer to the problem except through Christ Jesus and and that's a supernatural love because that's what's going to that's what's going to solve it we can march and and people can march and protest and as you said it goes down for a while then it comes back up because there's something it's there's something more something more has to be done instead of putting a band-aid over it we've got to get down into the pr- putrefaction of the wound of the sore and dig it out because it keeps festering 
So there's got to be some type of uh, antibiotic that goes into our system, into our judicial system, into the uh, uh, law enforcement, and into the minds of people in general, that uh, no person, no human being is better than another human being. There's got to be some type of uh, uh, even playing field throughout society, throughout the school system, throughout uh, uh, the educational system, the economic uh, strata, all these things are going to have to be looked at. But my point is this, who can pull all this together? What man, what group of men can pull all this together? I don't know of any except the Lord. And, well, and, and that that really goes to the that really goes to the core of where I think this this discussion needs to head. And I and I don't mean just our discussion here, Pastor Jones, but I mean the 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 national discussion. And some of it's going to be a very uncomfortable discussion, I'm afraid, because the the simplistic approach of more diversity training, let's pass some more civil rights laws, let's add additional penalties. Let's outlaw in every police department across the nation the uh, the knee technique that we saw used a week ago Monday. And, you know, we pass more laws. But I, I have to wonder, in a nation that has 17,000 pages worth of laws that have been passed by Congress down through the years, and yet we still behave like this, and I think to go even closer to my point, if just simply passing a law was the answer, then there would have been no need for Christ to come because God handed down his law to Moses. And if we had behaved and stayed in compliance with that law, then we wouldn't have gotten ourselves to the point where we needed a savior, having demonstrated that because of our sin nature, we are fully incapable of keeping the law. And so then that really gets to the heart of this entire question that as much and we're going to hear this in the coming days and weeks that uh, people on both sides of the aisle politically will be demanding greater laws greater sensitivity training things of this sort Um, and, and while a lot of that may serve some purpose at the end of the day isn't what we saw exploding on the streets of American cities over the last week isn't what led to that officer kneeling on that man's neck for nearly 10 minutes as he literally pleaded for his life, as bystanders said, he's suffocating. Even as one of the other fellow officers said, should we roll him over? No, leave him there. That that total lack of sensitivity, that, 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 that total lack of even demonstration of humanity toward another human being was so wholly absent, I know some people say you shouldn't judge, but we can't be fruit inspectors. And I tell you, if you look at that video, as we've all seen, it demonstrates, I think, of not just another example of man's inhumanity toward man, but almost a a spirit of murder taking place at that time which leads me to conclude that all the laws in the world, all the regulations that we can pass, all the sensitivity training that we can subject ourselves to, will not be sufficient 
until we get to the core real issue here, and that is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers in high places, and we recognize the spiritual warfare that's afoot in America today, and that at the core of this, racism is a symptom. The core issue here is sin itself. Am I right? Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing. Sin exhibits itself in a variety of ways. Our emotions, our cultural upbringing can cause us to sin. Our, um, uh, our ideas about other, other people, uh, um, a one man's perception to him is reality, that type of thing. So that's sin. But people don't know. They don't realize. They say, I'm okay, you're okay. You know, I've been in this world 30 years or 25 years. I know what's going on. But you don't know that there are demonic forces playing you like a fiddle. And that's what people don't know, that Satan has. If you don't know the Lord, Satan has his hand in your back. When he wants you, he can have you. And that's what I found out. And see, no matter how well-intentioned you are, when it comes to survival or when it comes to that, that millisecond, or in this case it was 10 minutes, this man was completely, and I'm not saying this to try to give him an alibi or anything else, he's going to have to pay for what he did, but you could say that he was out of his mind. Ten minutes, eight, eight and a half minutes, you have your, your, your knee on a man's neck, I've been in the same situation where I had to arrest people. Once the handcuffs go on, I don't care what they do. I've been spat on. I've been kneed in the groin. I've been talked about. They threatened to kill my whole family. And the guy had already shot a police officer in the neck, and he was handcuffed, and we fought. We fought. He was 250 pounds, and I was 240, and we went at it. And he lost. But when the cuffs went on, that was it. You see, that was it. And, and even if you hold someone down and they're scuffling and they say, I can't breathe, your job is to roll him over and say, okay, stay still, stop wiggling, okay, and I'll adjust you, and I'll put you up, I'll set you up, but no more spitting, okay? You don't just sit there with your knee on his neck. That's why no matter what happened before George Floyd was arrested, I don't care if he had an if he was an axe murderer. That situation from being cuffed on the ground for that ten minutes tells a different story altogether. Whatever happened prior to that, we don't even care about. That point right there is what really sealed this whole issue, and that's that's the problem. That's what we need to look at. And there you see a man that's been taken away by demons. He's been taken away. He wouldn't listen to, and the other officers are just frozen. They know what's going on. They know this is wrong. But they're saying, oh, it's his call. No, I'm not getting into this. Oh, no, I'm not. Mm. And some of them may be just as uh, warped as he is at that moment. I don't know. But the point is, now they're all going down the tubes. So, so what happened? Who won? The devil won. We've got a dead man. We've got a, a nation, a world full of people now fighting against 
uh, uh, racism, which has always been the case, but now we've got so much civil disobedience that innocent people are suffering. We've got people that raised their, that spent their livelihoods trying to raise a business, and now they're suffering and they're pleading, please don't break into my place, and the devil is laughing. That's what we don't see. These demons are laughing and giving each other high fives, and we're still talking about passing some puny laws down the road where people are still going to be, people will still react negatively in a given situation. That's what people don't understand. I've been there on the streets, and I've seen the, the most storied police officers. I work with legends, and these police officers were gallant men. And anybody on a given day can mess up. But if you hold on to the Lord with all your heart and you trust in him and you give him your life, not only will he protect you, but you'll have power that a situation like that wouldn't even happen. Because you'll be able to rebuke devils and demons, and people don't understand this. It's as different as night and day. Well, and, and you know the the interesting thing is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take advantage of you here if I can, Pastor Jones. If you have a dinner date uh, with with Annalisa in five minutes, can you ask her forgiveness? <laughs> I'd like to keep you for for a little bit longer if we can. Um, you know, it 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 goes to a key point here. We're gonna take a time out here, and then we'll come back to more of the conversation. But I want to kind of set up the next portion of our conversation by saying this. One of the key failures that we're seeing right now, even as we discuss the turmoil that's happening and the the political ins and outs and all of that and businesses that have been closed and destroyed and property stolen and fires set and all of that. And, 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 And all of that is terrible and it's a shock and an assault to the eyes and to the senses. But let's get this thing down. Let's whittle this down to the central key point. And that is very life itself. What do we have argued about and debated about for centuries now, particularly during the the peak after um, Darwin's work? How did life come into being, right? Then we've argued about whether or not there ought to be certain people that have the ability to take life. Uh, be it should the state have the capacity to take a life in a capital murder case to should a woman have the right to take a life of her unborn child. Everything is argued and come back to this key one question. Even as we talked about surviving COVID-19 economically, your business survived, but you've lost your life because of COVID-19. Well, then it really doesn't matter, does it? It all circles back to this key point. What was necessary for us to be able to be reconciled unto God? Life had to come into this world in the form of very God himself coming as man God through the virgin birth. And then life had to be shed, blood had to be shed, a life had to be expended and snuffed out in an earthly fashion in order for the ultimate sacrifice to be made, that through that sacrifice of life, through that shed blood, we might be redeemed, the price on our behalf might be paid, so that through that payment, through that redemption, would arrive reconciliation, that in him and through him, we could then be reconciled unto the Father, the giver of life. 
And yet, the one core issue that we seem to be missing in all of this dialogue is the value of life. We mourn the loss of life because there was not respect for life. And tragically, in the wake of this all, there's been more loss of life. From an officer that was shot and killed here guarding the federal building in Oakland, to a man down south, I want to say in Louisiana, but I think that's wrong, who was known as the friend of police officers in his community, St. Louis, I think it was, now that that comes to mind, who often fed police officers at his restaurant for free. He happened to be an innocent bystander, and a shooting took place during one of the riots a day ago, and the police fired back, and unfortunately it was the, the old adage, wrong place at the wrong time, and he lost his life. And we'll see more before this is all over with. And yet the core understanding of just how precious and value life itself is. The only real true thing that we have that is not only a gift of God, but created in the very image of God. And that's the one thing that we seem to have the least amount of value placed on. Let's take this time out. We're going to come back to more of our conversation. Pastor Joel Jones is with us. He's senior pastor at Spirit of Truth Church in Fairfield, author of on the Job with God, The Awakening, first in a series. Spent more than 30 years in law enforcement with both the police departments of San Francisco, Oakland, and served in the sheriff's department for the city of San Francisco. He brings some unique perspective to this very topic, and we're going to get back to more of his insights as this edition of Lifeline continues. Get you a look at traffic right now. <laughs> 